here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transparently expose everything that I'm looking at. I want you to see the data I'm looking at. I want you to understand the, pro- the decision process I'm going through to figure out, do restaurants open or not? You know, do hair salons open or not? I want you to understand where I'm coming from because you may not like what I decide, but I want you to know how I got there. Imagine how powerful that would be. And the best CEOs, they use that kind of strategy. But wait, there is more. Yes, there is more because you're going to hear me today as I drill down in asking these tough questions as far as when, where, how. All of this is going to be unpacked today as you listen to your delightful host, the great interviewer himself, the one who is able to drill deep and ask the right questions. Because not everybody can do this. Only your trained and extremely talented and delightful podcast host like myself can do. And that's why you're going to stay tuned because you're going to get what it is you come from. Yes, my friend. Yes, my friend. Me friend, me friend, me friend. We take a street Oh, yeah. So we are going to dig into that and you're going to hear more of that. So stay tuned. Make sure that you're strapped in as we get ready for blast off. So here we go. Welcome to the Kingsley Grant Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you become the leader everyone loves and wants to follow. Kingsley believes his leadership paradigm, emotelligence, the art of succeeding where others failed, is the key to achieving this status. On this show, Kingsley guides you through the uncharted waters of emotional intelligence and leadership essentials, with the guarantee that upon exit, you will become more skilled in relationship management, decision-making, and job performance. Now here's your host, your coach, and your Sherpa, Kingsley Grant. Here we go, here we go, here we go. This is your boy, Kings Grant, sitting behind the Jamaican microphone, bringing you yet another show. And it is from the show that's been voted number three on the top 15 podcasts on emotional intelligence by Spot. And so I am excited that you are listening to one of the top shows right now. And I'm in the command center of the Emotelligent Leadership Institute, where I'm going to dig into the vault and get today's show so that what you've come for, you will have. So let me reach in right here and get today's show. There it is. I got it. I got it. And put it down right here. And now we can dive into today's show. And on today's show, we are going to be speaking to an expert on the topic of honesty, but not just any kind of honesty. This is the brutal honesty. Yes. Have you been honest with yourself lately? Come on, come on. Be be truthful now. (laughs) We're talking about honesty here. Have you, really, have you? Well, let me ask another question. Have you been brutally honest with yourself? What about with your your people, your teammates, the people you're leading? 
What about with the people that are you're leading in the upward direction, so to speak, your vertical relationships with your upper management? If you're not that person, what about that? What about your colleagues? How have that been working out? Well, today you're going to hear from an expert I mentioned before that's going to kind of help us walk through the process, how he has walked through the process, what that looks like, and how it looked like uh, for him. And you're going to hear as he described his own journey in this process and how this all came about. So sit still, don't move. Don't hit the the dial. Don't hit the volume. Don't fast forward. Don't do anything but just listen. Keep the earbuds right there in your ear. Don't let it fall out because you could miss something very important. Before we get there, my friend, let me just say thank you for being here. It's a great pleasure to have you with me and my guests um, on this episode today. If this is your first time, let me say thanks a million. I do appreciate you being here. And this show is really, we've been waiting for you for a long time. You've made it. Congratulations. If this is your second, third, fourth, fifth time, again, you know the drill. You are VIP. You are the special. And I'm so grateful that you are coming back and having Others are encouraging others to listen, right? I know you are. Being, now, you got to be honest. This, is, this, this show will be about honesty, so make sure you're honest. Have you, been t- have you been telling people? Have you been spreading the word? Have you, becoming, have you been my ambassador, my messenger, my missionary? Have you? Okay, if you're not, you better start doing today because I'm going to ask you again. You've got to be honest. But thank you again for being here. And my friend, you know, this show has been brought to you by Kingspire Communication, where we help leaders like yourself, operational leaders, become better at decision-making, relationship management, and work performance. That's why you're here, my friend. And we're going to make sure you get that today through brutal honesty. With that said, my friend, would you put your hands together and help me welcome to the show our guest, Peter Cazador. Thank you for joining me on the Kings of Grants show where emotional intelligence and leadership skills intersect. This show is designed for leaders who want to know what works and what doesn't work in today's workplace. Today we have a special guest on the show. His name is Peter Kozadoy. Let me tell you a few things about Peter and we'll fill in the rest as we go. Peter is a TEDx speaker, author of Honest to Greatness, How Today's Greatest Leaders Use Brutal Honesty to achieve massive success and serial, and he's also a serial entrepreneur. He currently serves as a CEO of Stradeso and a partner chief strategy officer of Gem Advertising. Peter's largest business has appeared in the, on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America, and his articles on business Leadership and entrepreneurship have appeared in Inc., Forbes, The Huffington Post, and more. He holds a BA in economics from Brandeis 
University and an MBA from Columbia Business School. Peter, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? It's my pleasure to be here, Kingsley. Doing great. Awesome. Glad to have you join me on the show today, and I do appreciate that. So, Peter, um, just for our audience sake, so they know that we're speaking to a real person and not a robot, where in the world is Peter today? <laughs> so, uh, I live in southwestern Connecticut, about 50 miles north of New York. Oh, okay. Awesome. So, Peter, so someone should come to that region of the world and uh, want to figure some things out. For example, what's a, a must-see or a must-do and a must-taste for them when they come to that area? Well, we're known for our hot buttered lobster rolls, but Ooh. to be honest with you, and we got to keep this a secret between us, yes. I actually prefer Maine lobster rolls, which are cold and served with mayonnaise because Ooh. I grew up in Boston, so uh, I'm a little partial to that. Just don't tell anyone here in Connecticut. <laughs> we'll keep that a secret on the Kings of Grand show. And so is there a special place that you may want to see or that you might want to do in that region that would say, hey, you got to come and look at this or experience this? You know, I, Connecticut's got a lot of really wonderful spots along the shoreline. You know, I, even just driving some of the roads down Fairfield County, it's a very wealthy area that uh, a lot of New York executives live in. So, you know, for anyone that just loves driving the coast and seeing beautiful homes, it's it's a nice Sunday drive kind of place. So, so what led to your transplant from Boston to Connecticut? Oh, Kingsley, you know how it goes. You know, boy <laughs> grows up in Boston. Boy says he'll never move to Connecticut. Boy meets girl from Connecticut. Everything changes, and he moves to Connecticut. You know, that's the basic uh, the basic story. So here I am. So you follow the leader. <laughs> that's right. Exactly, yeah. And uh, 15 years later, here we are. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how leadership may look differently to different people at different times. So in even mentioning about the word leader, so Peter, when you hear that word leader or leadership, what comes to your mind? You know what's funny, King? Other than your wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. No, make, make sure you say that loud so she can hear Um <laughs> When I hear the word leader now, I think of someone who shuts up, who mm. doesn't speak, who listens, who absorbs what's going on around them and tries to read between the lines to figure out what's true versus what people are actually saying. That's what leader means to me. And, you know, I think some leader who are who hear that, Peter, and they're ego-driven and they want to make sure that you know I am the leader, that might be a, a tall order to ask them to do to just kind of shut up. I mean, how, how would they even begin to think about what that might, the benefit of doing that? What's the reason why they might want to listen more and speak less? Because as I've found, Kingsley, that's the secret to making more money, to achieving mm. more business success. And that's ultimately, you know, why I ended up writing a book about it, you know, the book Honest mm. to Greatness that you mentioned. It's really about, you know, how do we be honest uh, about what's going on in the world, what's going on with the people around us, and what's going on with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I give case studies and interviews that over and over again, the leaders who just stopped talking and listened to what their frontline employees were saying, what their customers are saying, what their prospects are saying, what their fellow executives are saying, they're the ones that sort of unblocked the organization and allowed all those innovative ideas to trickle up and then get executed on versus 
the you know old leader as gatekeeper mm-hmm. whose job it was to say no i know better no we're going to do it this way and, and, and that just doesn't work anymore in an environment where we all have the same access to information we all can see for our own selves what's really going on mm-hmm. and the people who matter most the customers they're not interfacing with the ceo every day in fact in a lot of ways they are the most removed from the ceo so in a lot of ways kingsley the we've really flipped the script about what a, an executive leader in business even is or does that is kind of a a thing that i'm on here and peter is like that leader might be the one who actually is in the way of progress in the way of expansion in the way right so you're asking the leader to first look at maybe you are the 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 chink in the arm so to speak right um so a leader who probably don't have that kind of framework or thinking because he or she have been told that this is how you lead you got to get out there you got to kind of command respect you got to get people to fall in line uh, I'm hearing you, you're saying that's kind of um, probably need to shift away from that because that may not be a model that now suits today's world. And, and so, what does it look like? I mean, how does a, a leader step away from that? I mean, because it's really kind of tricky, right? Because they may yeah. not want to lose what they think they have, right? Because of that position and that title can feel threatened, and you're asking them to do something that mm, may question their capacity they're they're themselves as a person so let's talk about that for a second yeah well some will never believe it right Mm -hmm. you know and the problem with successful executives that i never would have guessed unless i saw it with my own eyes is that success breeds a sense of security and rightness right it's like well i've been doing it the same way over and over again and i've I've obviously gotten to the place i've gotten to so why would i change now And I think what they're missing is that the world is moving too fast for that. And, you know, I think about it as like a, I call it the inverse triangle, right? If you picture an organization as a triangle, as a hierarchy, you've got the, the CEO at the top and the executives and the middle managers and the frontline employees and so on, right? If you look back maybe 50 years, that made a lot of sense because the executives were the ones that really had the power to see what was going on, mm-hmm. right? It, you couldn't. You couldn't transfer information fast enough through the organization to do it every other way. The CEO knew what the strategy was. They had the MBA. They had the trends and the insights. They're the only ones that could that could see, right? But today, you know, a frontline employee armed with Glassdoor.com and technology to log what customers are saying mm-hmm. and the ability to pick up a phone or email or chat message <laughs> to get to the CEO like that, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine th- the world it has changed, right? Mm-hmm. So if you flip that, that's why I call it the inverse triangle. The best companies today that, that really innovate and crush their industries are the ones that start with insights from the the now top, which is really the bottom, and that's the prospective mm-hmm. customers, customers, and frontline employees. Mm-hmm. And what the, you know, the smart executives just sort of sit back and let those insights come to them, mm-hmm. and then reflect them back out. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, take Quicken Loans, right? Mm-hmm. Quicken Loans invented Rocket Mortgage, mm-hmm. which uh, is the mobile app for mortgages. It, it absolutely dominated the industry. Now it's a pretty simple idea, right? But it, when they told me the story about it, it's it. The way it happened, you're like, yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Basically, they bring in a ton of young interns every year, and they have a culture in which they are all about rapid innovation and action. So when somebody came up to them and said, hey, um, 
you know, we all have a smartphone. Why don't we just, you know, get a mortgage through our phone instead of killing a tree, you know, to fill out a bunch of paperwork? And they, they looked around. They said, well, that sounds like a good idea. Let's uh, let's go and do that. <laughs> Very simple, right? <laughs> but, and so you ask yourself, like, you know, that the uh, mortgage market was formerly dominated by massive publicly traded corporations, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. The question is, why didn't they do it? Mm-hmm. Well, because somebody at the top was like, no, that's not the way we do things. That's not the way mortgages work. That's not, that's not, that's not right? It's not helpful. Um, that's just one. I'll give you another example. Uh, Domino's Pizza, who in uh, 2008 and nine realized that they had a pizza problem because their customers were starting to complain and say, you know, by the way, your pizza is not very good. Um, and so – what happened was the then chief marketing officer took all those interviews and, and case studies, packaged them up, brought them up to the, the CEO and said, look, um, all our customers say that our pizza sucks. So we have two choices. We can do absolutely nothing with it or we can do something with it. Mm-hmm. So they didn't just make the pizza better. In fact, I don't know if you remember this. In 2010, uh, the CEO, J. Patrick Doyle, went on national television and told the world, uh, so it turns out our pizza sucks and we're sorry yeah. and we're going to do something about it. Because you deserve better than this. And Kingsley, if you had invested in Domino's Pizza at that moment of honesty, you would have had a 3,000% return over the next 10 years. I mean, would have made you a millionaire. So, you know, all of these ways of just absorbing the information coming to us and, and taking action, reflecting it back out, produce massive, massively profitable results. And I chronicle case after case in my book that proves the same thing. You know, um, one thing I'm listening to, I listen to you, Peter, I'm, I'm hearing because I'm all about culture and I look at the whole um, sometimes what prevents a company, an organization from really succeeding and, and really exceeding what they currently can. And I, I find sometimes I talk about toxicity. There's something that's toxic that's going on, right? But when you mentioned about brutal honesty and, and how then even the culture of bringing the young people in and so on and try to transform that, that way of thinking and way of doing business. But I find that there has to be some kind of core, a, a foundation to build all that on. How does a company then, like in the case you described, step away from what they're doing to become brutally honest to create a, a, a culture that supports that kind of thinking? Because it's not an easy transition. When people are guarding their own space and their own territory, right? But you're um, suggesting that from the top down, there needs to be some kind of, um, uh, you know, overhaul of some kind. But how, how, where would they start? How, how will a manager or a leader listening to you, Peter, start this process? So from the top down, it's much easier, right? Because uh, people put in power positions like a CEO, they are handed authority. Like they're literally handed power. They can do anything they want. They can fire a whole division of people who don't fit the new culture of what they think they need to be, right? That's actually the simpler part. The more difficult part is how do you do this as a frontline employee or a middle manager? Mm -hmm. And so I actually dedicate an entire chapter in my book to this, and it comes down to a few critical things. The first is uh, be very honest about what your managers are dealing with because the way to not do this is to get up on your soapbox and tell uh, your you know your bosses that they suck and that you know better like that's probably not going to go well right <laughs> i don't think so but but, but as as one of the uh, ceos in my book says what you can do is start and be a leader in your own little team in your own little group oh. and what that looks like is opening up dialogue at meetings to just simply ask people hey if we were going to reinvent this company 
how would we do it? You know, what kinds of things are you hearing from customers that you think would be a good idea to take action on and start collecting those ideas and list? Then the second thing is to go and get data against those. You know, hey, uh, turns out nine out of 10 customers we surveyed are saying the following two things. Well, data is very hard for any boss to disregard because if they do, they're basically just saying, well, my ego matters more than your math, Mm -hmm. which is a very dangerous thing, right? Uh, And I'm not saying there aren't leaders who would say that. Like I've met – trust me, I've met leaders who would say like, well, those Google Analytics can't be right. You you must have manipulated those. I assure you, Kingsley, if I could manipulate Google Analytics, (laughs) I'd be living on a yacht somewhere. I would not be talking to you. Exactly. No. Uh, (laughs) Neither would I, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, because people, you know, so it does happen, right? But but numbers, data is is much harder to look at, Mm -hmm. uh, to look at and deny, right? right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the third thing is is assemble what I call a coalition. You know, so it's not Mm -hmm. just you against the world. Mm -hmm. You have strung together a group of diverse individuals within your company, not just across your own little little group, but in other groups as well, to come and band together to say, hey, we think there's an opportunity for change here, and here are our recommendations. One employee's idea walking into the CEO's office is easy to dismiss, but a group of seven people, diverse, culturally diverse, diverse across the company and and functions – that's much harder to ignore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's, there are definitely steps you can take as an employee. And then you know, mm-hmm. as one of uh, the CEOs I interview says, which I know is easier said than done, you know, if you want to make – if you're the type of person whose core values are that you want to make positive change, you want to grow, you love business, you love your customers, and you, you put it – you know, give it your all to make the kind of change you know what is in the best interest of your company and it doesn't work – well, then, you know, there's always monster.com. Might be time to leave. <laughs> um, you know, which again, you know, it's easier said than done. But uh, he was he was pretty serious about that because he was, you know, as one of the CEOs I profiled in the book, I think his point was come work for me. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who's kick-ass enough mm-hmm. to want to change your company and make them more money, mm-hmm. come work for us. Mm-hmm. And what's odd is as I say that, you're like, yeah, of course, doesn't everyone want those employees? But actually, no. Some CEOs who are gate, gatekeepers first mm-hmm. uh, would rather just be their way of the highway. It's mm-hmm. blatant ego and bias, Kingsley, and I can't explain it for the life of me. You know, I think um, as I, I listen to you again, Peter, I, I'm, one of the things I, I, I say a lot and I try to, to, um, to uh, teach and, and talk about is the fact that uh, for a leader to be able to have that buy-in or get people to want to do those things – they have to create a sense of, okay, bring the numbers, do this homework, all those things, and then I listen. But sometimes they, um, uh, the people in the front line or in the middle, right, the operational leaders, may have a, a, a hesitancy, right, because that leader has not yet established that they're trustworthy or there's a no like, and trust factor in place. And so bring the idea, we'll do something about it. Because sometimes they bring their ideas, nothing is done. Some other times, their their ideas are hijacked and taken over and made as for somebody else, as if they're the ones who came up with the idea. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's a conflict sometimes, right? So how would that person then go about establishing such a um, a flow of both ways, where the per, that the lower managers or others may want to bring those ideas and say, "Hey, we want to join behind it," but how would they set the stage for that to happen? Yeah, through extreme transparency. You know, one of the things that Quicken does is managers will really cut you off and say, like, that sounds great. I don't know if it's a great idea or not. Go do it. 
you know, then, then report back. And those things are, are tracked, you know. So mm. to give you another case, I, um, I profiled Ray Dalio at Bridgewater Associates, right? Mm. Largest hedge fund in the world, 160 billion with a B dollars in assets under management. Okay. He got there by basically saying to his team, I don't know it all and I need you to tell me where I'm wrong and we need to have a discussion around it. They track all of these data points, whether it's your and my discussion, like I will rate you on it and that gets logged, whether it's ideas we have in meetings, those get tracked and discussed. And the, when you have a system where everyone can see what's going on, like, oh, Kingsley and Peter talked. Oh, they came up with these three ideas. Oh, look, they've each assigned themselves 21 days to go execute them and they're on sticky notes in the middle of the conference room. Like no one can deny that. And so when you bring things into the light, there's a natural amount of accountability that occurs. And accountability needs to run both ways, and it can never run when we don't track those things and make them available, mm -hmm. right? It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, one common thread in all the organizations and leaders that I had was this idea that we're going to put process out in the open, mm -hmm. not just we're going to tell you what we're thinking, but what we're doing and how we're doing it. And it's funny you bring this up, Kingsley, because all through this pandemic, I was thinking to myself – we have folks out there who clearly don't want to follow the rules, don't want to wear masks, right. think to themselves, I don't know anybody with COVID, so I'm really not going to worry about it. To say those people are somehow like crazy or stupid, I think is a, is extremely wrong and right. dangerous. Right. It's not that at all. Right. It's that people don't know who to trust. Mm -hmm. Surely you and I know that the media and the government has lied over and over and over again. Yes. I don't blame them for not trusting. However, I'll tell you what, any one of the governors could have come out and said, you know what, I understand how you all could be like, I don't know if this is a real thing. I don't know what I should do. I don't know who to trust. I'm getting conflicting information. I get it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transparently expose everything that I'm looking at. I want you to see the data I'm looking at. I want you to understand the, pro the decision process I'm going through to figure out do restaurants open or not? You know, do hair salons open or not? I want you to understand where I'm coming from because you may not like what I decide, but I want you to know how I got there. Mm. Imagine how powerful that would yes. be. And the best CEOs, they use that kind of strategy. You know, I like the fact that, you know, that the open process because I find that people are more willing because you're, you're walking them through. You're saying, hey, here's where we're at. Here's where we, we want to go. And let me show you why you might want to get behind this, right? So you're basically, what I'm hearing, Peter, is really kind of um, emphasizing the sense of leaders who are going to be honest with their people and realize it may be brutal, it may, but it also requires that you yourself have to understand it's not about you, right? It's, it's about really the whole team. It's about the company. It's about the organization. How do we get there? And I find you're, you're, what I'm hearing coming through what you're saying is a leader who chooses that path have a better chance of getting everybody on the same page and move along, which really is what team is all about, right? So I'm curious. You mentioned a number of times your book, you know, which is called Honest to Greatness, how today's greatest leaders use brutal honesty, right? That is something that's missing, the missing piece from leadership today. As you mentioned before, you cited government and media so people are kind of leery, and and and, and I I just say don't blame them, right? So yeah. let's talk about that now. I mean, what led you to read the, uh, write that book, and um, what benefit would a leader? You mentioned a few things so far, right? But from your yeah. book's um, standpoint, what would be, uh, um, be the benefit of following that process you've outlined in your book? 
Well, Kingsley, the good thing about writing a book about honesty is that I'm forced to be honest. So I'll tell you what, I never set out to write about, speak about, or frankly, even care about honesty. Mm-hmm. It was not on my radar at all. In fact, if you had gone and told 18-year-old Peter I was going to you know, speak and write about honesty one day, I would have told you you're full of crap. <laughs> I have been like, what are you talking about? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I actually set out to write a marketing book. You know, I went through my own crisis of honesty when I turned 30. I don't know if this has happened to you. It was a devastating time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, that that age just crushed me. And um, I had realized that I had been drifting along on the back of two big failures I had as a teenager, one of which was I was convinced I was going to go to the Olympics as a figure skater, wow. convinced. And the other, I was convinced I was going to go to Harvard. You know, I grew up in Boston. There was only one college, and that was Harvard, and that's where I was going to go. Well, by 18, Kingsley, I missed the Olympics. It was clear that was not going to happen. I applied to Harvard. Harvard wrote me a letter saying, you know, thank you, but no thank you. Don't call us. We'll call you. (laughs) And um, unbeknownst to me, I spent the next 12 years sort of drifting along, assuming I would never do something that amazing with my life. Um, Now, mind you, I mean, I built a multi-million dollar business. Uh, you know, by 30, I'd married my amazing wife. We were flipping a home. I mean, I should have just like shut the hell up and been happy, but that's not how life works, right? right. I knew there was a lot more to accomplish. So uh, at my quarter life crisis at 30, which, it, you know, I do plan to live to 120, so that's why okay. I got to clarify the math there. Um, I knew that one of the things I still needed to do is write a book. You know, being an author was just in my DNA. So I sat down to write a marketing book because I had spent years building a marketing agency and being fascinated with the fact that some organizations that we worked with took our growth strategies and just crushed it. I mean, Mm -hmm. they'd get like a five times return on investment, loved us, stuck with us. Others blew up on the launch pad. I mean, they could not get out of their own way to save their lives. It was Mm -hmm. politics and infighting and bias. And I never really saw it as brutal honesty until two things happened. One, I turned 30 and had to learn how to get honest with myself, mm-hmm. you know, about who I really was and what I really wanted. Um, and second, I queried a bunch of literary agents and, and one gratefully signed me. And as soon as he signed me, he turned around and he was like, you know, this is great, but this is not a book about marketing. It's a book about honesty. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, clearly you're an idiot because <laughs> look at the title of the book. It has nothing to do with honesty and that. And, uh, you know, I didn't say that. I thought <laughs> it. And then I went home and I'm flipping through it. And I was like, damn, he's absolutely right. This is a book. That's much bigger than just sales and marketing communication. It's in the DNA of how an organization and a leader even operates in a world where everybody seems to lie, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when I pivoted this book into being a book about honesty and started to look at the world, Kingsley, through a lens of honesty. Mm -hmm. You can imagine the last six months have been like a field day for me because Mm -hmm. the pandemic (laughs) has been, you know, an an extreme exercise in dishonesty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, I mean, college admission scandal, everything that went Mm -hmm. on with Jeffrey Epstein, that coming to light, Uh, Mm -hmm. the Wells Fargo fake account scandal, the Volkswagen diesel emission scandal. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about the horrendous racial discrimination we're dealing with in America that now we need to get really brutally honest about Mm -hmm. and have these wonderful open conversations that, you know, as horrible as all those things are that I just listed, being someone whose only client is honesty, I actually love that we're finally forcing these things mm-hmm. to the surface because of everything you and I just talked mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. That's the truth of where we're at. And we can see it because we've fought these themes before and look where we are mm-hmm. because we have not gone all the way 
to digging deep into the things I talk in my book, like deep empathy, like shutting up. That's where we <laughs> we started our yeah, conversation yeah. today yeah. and listening, yeah. you know, and asking open ended provocative questions. Tell me more about that. Help me understand where I might be wrong. These mm-hmm. things are so important. And if I can just get everyone to think about themselves as a leader in this way, in this, you know, what does honesty mean? It means open minded, mm-hmm. willing to admit fault, mm-hmm. ready to change. Right. Mm-hmm. If I can convince some folks out there to shift their mindset into an honest way of being, then I will have won. And by the way, I don't think we're going to have a choice for that much longer. Mm-hmm. If when, I, when we look around, Kings, I mean, look at uh, the murder of George Floyd mm-hmm. as a perfect example. We have a video of it. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the world yeah. can see what really happened. There is video and audio of pretty much everything going on in the world today. In that kind of environment where we're going to get more transparent, in a world like that, it doesn't. It's not going to pay to do anything but be honest and transparent. I don't know. What, what do you think of that? Do you agree? A hundred percent. You know, I, as I, I listened to you, I was thinking about. You know, I grew up in Jamaica. That's where I was born, and I grew there. Uh, came to the United States in you know over 40, 40 plus years now. But I remember one of the things that was drilled into me, and Peter, and you probably had this too. Was honesty is the greatest policy. Right, that's what was said over and over and over again. That's what us. we're taught. Yeah, yeah we we're taught that, and uh, there's a reason why I think our parents drilled that into us. And we have to first begin, as you said, is to look in the mirror and say, "Well, how honest am I with even myself?" For example, if I'm overweight, I'm going to have to be honest and say, "Kings, you are overweight. Do something about it." I can't that's pretend. Right. And I can't surround myself with people who, who just kind of, you know, speak to me in a certain way and make me continue with these things which are not good for me. So I'm hearing the idea then is to create that. Not first, start with yourself. Be honest. Put everything out there. And I can see why, why for you, um, as you described, Peter, is that where it leads to greatness. And I think it's so true. It may not be popular today, right? It may not be popular. But really, as you look at the world around us, had we been that way, would we be where we are today? So I think you're really, you know, under something here. And I appreciate the fact that you are speaking in such a brutally honest way. And right. But I think also you look at your own self and say, well, how do I become honest with myself where I'm at and what I need to do? You are willing to listen to your agent who said this book is about honesty. Right. So you were honest enough to say, hey, you know what? Maybe he's onto something. You went back and realized Man, it resonates. Had you not done that, you could have pressed ahead with your idea, right? So you really have shifted because of that. So I agree with those ideas, and I hope as you're listening today, you'll hear some ideas as Peter is sharing. You may want to start and look in the mirror with yourself and say, hey, how honest am I about me as a person, and how transparent am I? It forces us to create something that I believe lasts longer. As your book, it says... A brutal honesty to achieve massive success and it's not just for a moment. It's really for a long term, as I'm hearing you saying, right? It's true. It's a it's a lifelong practice yeah. that all of the CEOs in my book, from the CEO of Sprint to Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett, I mean, it is a lifelong practice and it comes down to our core values. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's funny, you really pinpointed something there because I do a lot of coaching uh, for other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are building their own multi-million dollar empire. And invari- invariably, Kingsley, 
99% of business problems are personal problems in disguise, yeah. things we've denied ourselves. Mm-hmm. Last night, I'm on a coaching call, and the uh, entrepreneur who's just about to touch a million-dollar business is doing great. He's describing to me like, oh, I, there are these big accounts I want to go after and go sell, but you know, I'm, I'm just not confident enough. right? Mm-hmm. I just don't have the – I'm going over and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, there's something else here. You know. Tell me about your sales skills. No, I'm I'm great at selling. Okay, do you not like? Are you not able to find the right person in the organization? No, no, I can do that. Well, digging deeply enough, it turns out that the real issue was that he didn't trust his business partner. He was afraid he'd bring in these big accounts, but that his business partner wasn't pulling his own weight and wouldn't be able to handle it alongside him. Very different Mm -hmm. than I don't know how to go sell a big account and grow my business, right? This is why I love coaching and I love brutal honesty is because if we can get to the the honest nuggets in the back of our minds, that's where transformation happens. You can imagine if he goes and addresses that issue, what kind of ripple effect is that going to have across his business and his revenue and his operations and his profitability? And, you know, that's why I love working with entrepreneurs because they can have these breakthroughs, these honest breakthroughs, and then rapidly move uh, in the direction of, of, as you say, you know, massive success. Yeah. Peter, I mean, I, we could talk all day. I really love the, <laughs> I mean, your energy, your passion. Obviously, you, you're not just, uh, you're living this very thing. You actually have lived it and continue to do this. And I know, honestly, it does not mean perfection. We all are at times, that's why I love your framing just now. It's a lifelong process. And what a wonderful thing to realize you have a, something to work on every single day to become better at doing that. And I think you're really uh, um, shaping that and framing that in a very effective way. And, and the book is available. Again, it's called, as, as um, I mentioned earlier, it's Honest to Greatness, How Today's Greatest Leaders Use Brutal Honesty to Achieve Massive Success. And that book is available on Amazon and also uh, on Peter's website is Peter Kozadoy and it's K-O-Z-O-D-O-Y dot com and you can get all the information and get to know more about Peter and uh, his speaking, his coaching, his business and how he can come and help you and your company and or as a CEO, as a leader to really learn how to, this process is not something I think you want to do on your own because we might not be honest enough to tell ourselves the truth. So it's, not possible. Someone, right? yeah, I, it's not possible. 100%. I agree that. You know? <laughs> So, Peter, is there any last one last thing you may want to say? If I had not asked a certain question, you said this might be helpful for the audience, but also you want to share with us, what would that be? Um, I think I, I would like to leave the audience with one question, one of my favorites, which is, is that true? Mm-hmm. Every thought you have, every news headline you see, every Facebook post from your Aunt Betty, just sit back and ask yourself, is that true? Mm-hmm. And how do I know? How can I tell? I think just that one beat to step back and ask that question would help a lot of us avoid the reactions that have created such a damaging effect in our society. I love that. Thank you for actually, that's a great a bow, so to speak, on that's packaging because that's a powerful question. I think if we can start there, it can really save ourselves, like you said, from all these knee-jerk reactions and probably avoid uh, certain calamities that we probably would um, step into had we not done this. Peter, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's really a joy to speak to you. As I say, here comes, you know, as you speak, the, uh, as I mentioned, the, the excitement, the, the energy, the, the, the passion is there. And um, I really uh, appreciate you taking the time. And our audience really is going to 
I believe, is experiencing the very same thing I'm experiencing here while I do this interview with you. So thank you so much. Uh, and um, allow, and thank, thanks for the leader in your home to allow you to have this time to, to share with me in this interview. I mean, your wife. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. It's my pleasure, Kingsley. Thanks so much. And there you have it, my friend. I, I hope you get as much as I did from this episode with Peter Kazadoy. I, I hope that as he shared the different examples and he illustrated how this would look in certain points of your leadership and cited a number of examples, I hope that you are kind of your takeaway. You have something that was helpful that you received, and you're going to make certain that you put that into action like like yesterday. <laughs> well, the first place to begin is with yourself, right? If you've not been doing this, be honest and, and, and start there like Peter described. But I would love to hear from you, well, both Peter and myself, what your thoughts were on this episode, brutally honest episode. And, and be honest, <laughs> be honest in sharing your thoughts, any questions you may have, you can pass those on. As you'll see, you've heard the links, how to connect with Peter. And if you are on LinkedIn, especially or social media, but especially LinkedIn, you can easily interact with us, ask us questions, comment, however you want to engage with us, you can do that. But please get in touch with Peter, connect with him, and make certain that you let him know you listened to his brutally honest episode on the Kingsley Grant show. I would much, we would appreciate that. So, my friend, thank you so much for being here. Again, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate that. One thing we do here as we wrap things up is to put this show back into the vault at the Immortelligent Leadership Institute. So, let's go ahead and do that right now. Here it is. There you go. Now that this show is, is is safely tucked away in the vault, I can say my goodbye. So my friend, as you who have been around know this drill, here's how we end the show. Peace out. God bless. And I'll see you on the flip side. Yeah.